I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the fact uh, that your word is so often confronting. Uh, It exposes us, and yet it is comforting, and it is assuring, Lord. I pray that that would be the case tonight, that we would listen and hear what you have to say to us. Change us and make us more like you. Amen. Uh, A couple of years ago, I went, I was in uh, Wee War out in country New South Wales, and I was hungry. And so I saw a sign that said, authentic kebabs. I thought, okay, this is interesting. Probably Middle Eastern, not within 100 k's of this place, but authentic kebabs. So I went in. It was anything but authentic. I went in there, and they said, what meat would you like? I said, lamb. They said, well, we have sliced ham. Okay. Uh, and then I uh, said, would you like tabbouleh? I looked at the tabbouleh. It was couscous, tomato, and carrot. There was no green, no parsley whatsoever. And then they said, what, what sauce would you like? I said, I'd love hummus. We don't have hummus. What sauce did you have? We've got tomato or barbecue. <laughs> right? This was not an authentic kebab in the slightest. Uh, and we've titled this series, uh, Sermon on the Mount, The Authentic Life, right? And we, as Aussies, love authentic food. Uh, but we also love authentic people. One of the things that Aussies, we, we, can't, we can't stand is that what is a hypocrite, right? Someone who says something and does the other. Their, their life and their words are the exact opposite. We can't stand a hypocrite. And as we come to this passage tonight... We're going to see a big, a big problem of hypocrisy. But, but before we get there, it's really the problem is we're all a little bit hypocritical, aren't we? You, you know the times when you say, I really care about the environment, but you don't really recycle? You know the times when you say, I'm horrified by sweatshops, but you still shop at that store that you like to shop at? You know the times when you say, why is no one hospitable? And yet, you don't have anyone, anyone over to your place. Uh, recently, I found myself, uh, you know the times when there's a long line to turn left in your car, and then someone zips past the whole queue and goes right in the end, zips in? You're like, how dare that person? We are lying. We are here. We get back here. We all need to be in the left. But then the next week, what are you doing? Zipping past. Oh, don't know how I'm doing this. Oh, sorry, I'm busy. And then you zip in, right? We're all a little bit hypocritical, if we're honest. But there's a type of hypocrisy that is really damaging, and that is religious hypocrisy. A guy called Brennan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So you might be here, and your big objection to Christianity is, is someone who was a follower of God and yet did something that was hypocritical. And you don't want to be that religious, hypocritical person. The idea of toying with Christianity is just, you can't do it because of what you've seen. But it's interesting, in Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus cannot stand hypocrisy. He hates it even more than the average Aussie. But Jesus wants his followers to be authentic, to be genuine, to be honest. And so what he does is he picks three topics, three examples that you'd expect 
a religious leader talk about, giving to the poor, fasting, praying. And he shows the emptiness of them if we're going down the religious end. But then he provides a healthy alternative. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through through these three options. The first is, verse 2, giving to the poor. It says, so whenever you give to the poor. See, the assumption is there that Christians give to the needy. It was the case in the first century, and it's always been the way. But you might be thinking, why, why do Christians actually give to the poor? What's the go with that? There's two real reasons. One is, uh, Christians, particularly in the West, we don't want to be naive to our wealth. We know that those who are privileged are often born in privilege, and those who are poor are often born into poverty. That really, the amount of hours you work, how hard you work, really doesn't affect your wealth. It's where you were born that largely does. So we don't, we don't want to be naive to that. But the main reason is this is that us Christians realize we are spiritually poor. We're just like the poor. We have nothing to offer to God, and yet Jesus has been radically generous to us. As one pastor said, the closer we are to Jesus, the more we'll move towards the poor. So whenever you give to the poor, Jesus says, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. It's kind of like this. Someone comes into church and they blow. <coughs> Just to let you know, I'm about to give money. If I can have your attention, I'm just about to give $1,000 to World Vision. Things are tight, very tight for me, but... I'm about to give. And this is not a one-off. This is a weekly donation, weekly to those in need. And then everyone applauds. You can clap. Yes. And as soon as that applause ends, so does the reward. To blow your own trumpet, basically. It's ridiculous, isn't it? The question is, who is a person like that really giving to? We might not blow our own trumpets literally, right? But we do it in more subtle ways, don't we? We, we? we bring it up into conversation. We say things like, oh, I love to give to compassion. You know, in my will, I've just left a bit of a donation there to the guide dogs. Oh, no, today I went to the shops, then I gave blood, then I went home. Sort of just bringing it up, little bits. Hoping someone will notice, make a comment. Silently blowing our own trumpets. But Jesus provides an alternative. Verse 3, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a beautiful image. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's physically impossible, right? You can't lift something and be like, oh, okay, do it together. It it just happens, right? But what Jesus is getting that is... uh, Even though no one may know you're giving, you can give in a way that not even yourself knows. Because you can be giving to get a a buzz, to feel good, to assure yourself, I'm a a charitable person. You're doing it for your own self-approval. 
But Jesus says, no, 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 give so that not even yourself would know. But rather, we are to give to our Father who sees in secret, and he'll reward you. The second example there is fasting. Now, this may be uh, not as familiar to you. Uh, Fasting is basically denying, abstaining from something, normally food, for a short or long period in order to have deeper devotion, a hunger for God in prayer and His Word. And uh, it says there, verse 16, whenever you fast, this is uh, something uh, as Christians we should be doing. The the practice of denying myself so that I I yearn for God. Uh, Maybe it's a big decision coming up. Uh, Maybe you're feeling spiritually dry. Uh, Maybe you want to understand God's purpose in something. Can I just say, uh, I encourage you, don't fast for a couple of reasons. Don't fast if you're pregnant or if you're recovering from an operation. Now, don't fast if you want to go on a diet, right? Just go on a diet. Don't call it fasting. Uh, If you battle with uh, eating disorders, it it would not be right for you to go on a fast. But as a general rule, Christian, we, we should be men and women who fast. But as it says, Jesus says, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. Sound like this. Someone's walked into church with a mask on, just walking around, sad face, hoping someone will be like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. No, 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 what's wrong? Oh, I'm fasting. It's been 12 days, it's been hard, but it's for the Lord, for the Lord. All dice brownies. No, temptation, resist. And as soon as that conversation's over, so is the reward. But Jesus says, when you fast, put on oil on your head. And wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who's in secret. Fast in a way, Jesus is saying, that no one notices. Cover it up. Have a shower. Smile. Put on deodorant. Brush your teeth. Just say no rather than say, I'm fasting. As much as it is in your control. So that, verse 18, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A third example. Prayer. Again, this is a good thing, Jesus is saying, whenever you pray. But when you pray, don't, he says, verse 5, be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. Something like this. Someone comes into church, stands in a place where everyone can see them. And then begins to pray, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the way you've blessed my life, for my smoking hot wife, for my gorgeous mansion by the water, for my business that's doing exceedingly well, for the church that meets all my needs. I pray for Dan that he would return my DVD collection. And I just want to thank you for the way in which you've blessed me again and again. Amen. And as soon as that word amen is over, he's got his reward. His prayers have been answered because people listen to him.
But when you pray, Jesus says, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. See, the focus here is on your motivation. Not how or, or when you pray, but why you pray. And there is no great exposure to your motives than when you're by yourself. Do you pray in front of people, but not by yourself? When you're by yourself, do you actually spend time talking to your Father? You might read books about prayer, but never pray. When you pray, do you like to rattle off theological words, or how much insight you have into the world, or people's lives? Or are you just talking to your dad in heaven? Your prayer life speaks so loudly about you when it's just you. But it's really not just you, is it? Verse 6, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, you might have noticed that phrase, it comes again and again, right? It's the third time it's mentioned. Your, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, you might be thinking, well, Jesus said, don't give, uh, don't pray, don't fast for yourself, right? But you think about it, if you're doing it so that your Father will reward you, isn't that a roundabout way of doing it for yourself? You know, I, I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll give so that God will love me, that I'm more likely to get into heaven. Isn't it just a way of loving yourself? I remember in school, a friend Dora said to me, who was a Buddhist, she said, you're only friends with me, James, because you want to get into heaven. Bit of an odd phrase, but what she was getting at was often the view is Christians do good things so that they're more likely to end, uh, get a better seat in heaven or even a seat in heaven. Y you might think that if, if I'm a good person, then God's going to like me. I'm going to get to heaven. But you think about that for a moment. If I gave you a present and it was a present you liked, and then you found out a couple of weeks later that I gave you that present because I wanted to get something out of you. All of a sudden, that present becomes a bit tainted, doesn't it? You don't want it all of a sudden. And if we're doing things to, to, to buy God's love, then it's a bit tainted. But Christianity is different to every other religion, every other worldview. And it's found in the, the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. What are they? Our Father. Uh, growing up in the Goya household, I did a number of chores. You know, I, I washed the dishes, I cooked food, mopped the floor and that kind of thing. I did those things not because I wanted to be part of the family, not because I wanted the last name Galea, not because I wanted my dad's approval or to stay in the family. I was in the family. I had my dad's love. Nothing would ever change that. But when I went down the road to work at IGA, aisle four, pet food aisle, good one, I had to earn my way into that job. I had to go. I had to prove myself. I had to earn my boss's respect. I had to work hard so I wouldn't lose the job. Most people think Christianity is like work. But it's not. Christianity is like a family. Where God is your father and you cannot earn his love. You cannot buy your way in. But you might be thinking, how do you get into God's family? 
Because if I, let, let's say I went to your Christmas lunch, your Christmas family lunch, and said, this has been a great meal, and you know what? I'm going to be part of your family. I'm going to change my last name. I'm going to become a Fitzgibbon, a Martin. You know, I'm going to become a Porup. I'm, I'm going to change my name. I'm going to be part of you guys. You can't do that, can you? You can't, you can't just walk into a family and say, I'm going to be you. You have to be invited in. You, you have to be adopted in, right? And God is saying to you, I want you to be part of my family. But, but I'm not going to invite you in because you are devoted to prayer. You're really good at fasting. You gave so much money away. No, no, no. There is nothing you did or can do to buy God's love, but he gives it as a gift, as undeserved love, as grace. He says, I want you to be my child and I want to be your father. I want heaven to be your home forever. I'll tell you a story to illustrate. There was a gardener who once grew an enormous carrot. And he took this carrot to his king and said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or will ever grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. And so he turned to go. But the king said, wait, you're clearly a good steward of the earth. Now, I own a, a large bit of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and, and overjoyed and he went away. But there was a nobleman listening in. And he thought, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if he gave the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came. And he said, my lord, I breed horses. And this is the greatest horse <clears throat> I'll ever breed or will ever breed. And therefore I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned in his heart and said, thank you dismissed the nobleman. The nobleman was confused. He said, hang, hang on, the gardener, he gave the carrot. The king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, if you know that God is your father, that heaven is your home, and it's nothing you've done, it's all that he's done. If you know that, and you're sure of that, then you can give to the poor genuinely. Not thinking, can I get something out of this? You can pray, not trying to manipulate, get God's attention, but know that He loves you and you can talk to Him. You can fast, not to show how devoted you are, but show how much you need Him. So you might be thinking, what is this reward Jesus keeps talking about? I don't think it's a public reward. It's not necessarily a future reward. I think it's a reward that love, what love genuinely wants. It's seeing the poor relieved. Seeing them fed and clothed and free. It's when you fast, having a deeper devotion and worship of your God. It's when you pray, talking to your dad, meeting with him. What I want to do to end this is I want to pull out four things from the Lord's Prayer uh, that if you're a Christian, that will stop us from being hypocritical, I think. Because if you're a Christian, for more than three seconds, our temptation, right, is to go back to think, God loves me because of my righteousness, my goodness, my charity. This is my struggle. I don't know if it is, but I always think, oh, maybe God loves me because I'm a good person. No, no, no. Why did Jesus love me? 
from nothing I've done. It's all grace. It's all Him. And the Lord's Prayer helps us, steer us back to the truth in four ways. The first way is this. It says, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in heaven. Oh, sorry. In heaven as on earth, as it is in heaven. See, the root problem with religion is this. It's what can God do for me? What can I do to get him to meet my needs? But what does the Lord's Prayer begin with? Your. Your name. Your will. Your plan. Your purposes. When we pray, it's not how can I get God to change to fit my plans, but how can I change to fit his? It moves on. It says, give us today our daily bread. We don't often pray that prayer genuinely, do we? But what it's saying is is that we shouldn't rely on ourselves. Even for the basic things like bread, we are dependent on God. The third thing, in verse 2, it says, forgive us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In the heart of the Lord's Prayer is a moment of honesty, where as, as Christians, as children of God, we are going to sin and do wrong again and again. And if someone says, hey, you've done something wrong, aren't you a Christian? Point to this and say, no, I'm just being consistent. That we are going to stuff up again and again. But the difference is this. We're going to acknowledge that we've done wrong, and we're going to seek forgiveness, knowing that Jesus forgives us. And logically, that forgiveness is going to spread to others. You might have been thrown by verse 14. It's a confronting verse. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. You need to feel the weight of that verse, those verses. But what it's saying is this, don't be a hypocrite. If one moment you're saying, I'm forgiven, Jesus has paid my debts, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and next minute you point to someone and say, you dirty scum, how dare you do that to me, I'm not going to forgive you. You've missed something, haven't you? You're being hypocritical. See, a Christian experiences forgiveness and then he or she pours out that experience onto others, namely forgiveness. Verse 13, the last bit says, Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Where God our Father is not a, not a passive God, but, but He's like a dad who, whose children want to do all sorts of things, and the parent says, No. We want to do all sorts of things, but God says, No. See, we died to sin, right? We, Jesus has forgiven us of our sin, and we don't want to go back there. That we may not the pe- be the people we want to be, but by God's grace, we're not the people we used to be. That we're dealing with our sin, we're repenting and we're changing. See, friends, God hates hypocrisy, but He loves reality. And what is better than any authentic kebab or any authentic Indian or whatever it might be is an authentic Christian. One who acknowledges their wrongdoing and comes to God as Father, knowing that He forgives and loves and welcomes. One who relies on God. One who confesses their sins and knows forgiveness is there. One who wants to change to be more and more like our older brother Jesus. 
and one who gives and prays and fasts without any strings attached. At to end, I thought it would be appropriate for us to say the Lord's Prayer together. So let's pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. It's on the screen. Together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, that we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let's sing.